Well, for me, uh, we get on site about 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, everyone goes into the change rooms to get our scrubs on. We have a DNA zone that we can't cross without putting our full PPE on, uh, Tyvek suits, masks, um, gloves, boots, uh, hairnets that protects the bodies that um, we're excavating from our DNA so that they've got a better chance of being identified. So once we're in our full um, personal protective equipment, um, we start work and uh, pretty much that involves um, meticulously cleaning um, the remains of soldiers who, who died here at Fromel and uh, we try and separate each individual from the one uh, next to him, his neighbour. Then we fully record the individual and uh, we lift him. And those those bodies are, are some of them have they all been removed from the grave site, or are you, are you working in the ground or, or in a, a marquee or something? Well, we're all under a marquee. The graves the graves are under a marquee. Yes. Um, once they've been removed from the grave, we take them uh, just to the adjacent buildings in the uh, the compound um, which we've set up at in which we've set up the temporary mortuary. Um, and the remains are analysed there. They get x-rayed first and then they get washed and then they get analysed by the anthropologists. Um, and then they get um, boxed and stay on site. So they're all within the same complex. How many people are you talking about? I think the last I saw was you're looking at remains of about 250 Australian and British troops. Is that is that roughly the number? That number stays about the same, yeah. We're looking at 250 and can you tell us, can you describe for us what perhaps surprises you about uh, about the condition of those bodies? Well, the remains are fully skeletonised. Um, we don't have any soft tissue at all, but I'd expect that after 93 years. Um, what surprises me is that the, the graves are in two rows and one row of graves, um, the remains are in very good condition, the bones are whole, um, and then the graves down the hill a little bit um, they're a lot more fragmented, and that's due to um, the proximity to the trees. The tree roots have come into the graves and um, sucked out all the water from the ground, and so it's become more of an aerobic environment, so they're much more fractured than the ones up the hill a bit. I know, um, I know it's a matter of definition, but, but uh, do you have the impression that these soldiers were, were, um, uh, were, were properly buried? From, I mean, I've I excavated uh, three of the of the six graves, um, and the ones that were excavated uh, were filled in first. Seemed to be um, a lot neater. Um, they were all put in head to tail um, in rows. Um, but what I found is that the further away they've got from the first ones, they seem to be a little less um, organised. And I think that's due to the fact that um, if they were buried later on uh, in the process, they would have been on the battlefield longer and they would have been in a, a worse state of decay um, before they were reburied. So yes. that's a possibility. Yes, we're, we're talking... But I think that they were, were put in with a lot of dignity and respect. Um, Which is very interesting. Feeling. It's very interesting, Ambika. I know there's, you will be aware of... Um, there have been some observations in Australia, some people saying whilst there is a, a, a DNA investigation to identify these soldiers, that if they have been buried with dignity, that's where their bodies should remain. What's your view on that? Well, uh, as far as the, um, the Australian soldiers are concerned and, and the British soldiers, 
um, they're all entitled to an individual grave. That's, that was the intention after the war, and uh, uh, I think that, that that's something that the, the Australian government and the War Graves Commission are trying to do, um, give these people an individual burial, which is something they don't have at the moment. Yeah, and what's so rewarding about this? I, I know you've you've been involved in, in some, some gravesite digs in incredibly diverse places like Iraq and Guatemala and Spain and and Bosnia, what gives you the greatest satisfaction from this kind of incredibly fine and meticulous work? For me, seeing them recovered and cleaned and then neatly placed back into into the grave, into a burial into a burial plot that some relative can go and put flowers on, I think that's the most rewarding thing for me. It's also um, an important uh, way of making sure that history books have got the facts, their facts straight. That's also an important part of this project. You're listening to Ambika Flavel, the West Australian woman who studied archaeology at the University of WA and is now at Fromell working to provide, put some names on bones. I know that's a kind of ugly way of putting it, but it, endeavouring to provide some comfort, I think, to the families of those who lost these men all those years ago. Ambika, you talked about skeletal remains. What about artefacts? I've been to a few uh, battlefields of the First and Second World War and there's no shortage of petrified boots and uh, other indications, little pieces of metal and things. What, what have you found at this site? We found a lot of buckles. We found a few boots. Um, we found a few personal items like um, fountain pens, uh, uh, some webbing uh, with live rounds in them. Um, we found, as I'm sure you know, a train ticket from Perth to Fremantle, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And and what do you think in your reflective moments? Because I imagine that there's there's a a lot of repeti- careful repetition in the work you do. Do you think about who these blokes? might have been because it's sort of up, it's it's there for you to to tell us you are rebuilding these people in our eyes to some extent well we're always thinking about um you, know, you think about when they went off to battle they would have expected to come home um if you read the letters of people who are looking for their you know their, their missing relatives um they're obviously thinking about these soldiers um, and I guess they were thinking about the people back home as well. But you also think about what they were doing here. And I, I think we found a little badge that one of the soldiers had bought in a village. Um, he was a tourist. And these were just normal people. And, and that's the kind of thing that you think about when you're excavating them. And, and that's why we try and do such a careful job, because you know, they, they had lives and they had feelings and they had, I, I guess, ambitions and that's something that sometimes we think about in those reflective moments. Yeah, do you love going to work or are you sometimes a bit daunted, not just by the task, because that is a really, really big one, but but also by the kind of political argument that swirls around it, you know, should we, shouldn't we? Um, there's a, a, I know there have been, there's been some criticism uh, about water management and techniques being used at the site. Um, is it something every morning you get up and think, I'm doing something really purposeful, something that, that I've always wanted to do? Well, there's a few points there. Uh, I think from the political, should we, shouldn't we do it, um, that's something that you think about before the job starts and something you think about after the job's finished. But while you're doing the work, the only thing you really think about is trying to get the job done as best you can. 
Um, but it is very rewarding, and, and every morning I, I get up thinking, yeah, today we're going to do a good job, and that's what we're going to do, and these are our targets. Um, it's the first time that we've really been criticised, um, you know, from the media's point of view, and that's been... Um, I think that's been the, the dampener on this project, especially because it was unfounded. Um, and, that, and that being the criticism of how you're going about it, was that the was 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 that what stung a bit? Well, I don't think. I mean, if it was a, um, criticisms on the technical uh, aspects of our work, then it wouldn't have been so bad because everybody has different ways of doing things, and uh, you know, we could have had a debate and that would have been fine. Mm. But um, if there's criticisms that are completely Founded and, and illogical, then then that's sort of. Um, I, I don't think that's it's acceptable. A, it's having a crack at your professional integrity a bit, isn't it? Exactly, uh, and I think that that is um, it's more of a, a slur on the families than than us because um, they're the ones that are going to be hurt by it as well as us. But um, you know, we can always turn around and, and prove that we're doing a good job, but the families who might be thinking that we aren't doing a good job um, because of all the slander, they're the ones that are going to have a harder time being convinced. You're listening to Perth Sambika Flavel tell us about life at Fromel in the year 2009. When will this job be done? When will you pack up your tools and say goodbye to this extraordinary site? We're expecting to finish the field work in the next couple of weeks, um, but Packing up tools won't 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 happen until the end of October. Uh, we've still got a lot of analysis to do, a lot of uh, uh, cleaning of the fines and and report writing. So we're expected to finish at the end of October. And what then? Do you have a spell for a while, a little change of scenery? Yeah, a little holiday, and then come home. Well, Ambika, it's been lovely to hear from you, and the work you do is intriguing and important and thank you for giving us some time late into this French evening. Thank you very much.